Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been buried four days before. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Judeans had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. If you had been here, Lord, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask him for. Your brother will rise to life. I know that he will rise to life on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary privately. The teacher is here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there. Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. There will be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe?
took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listen to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here, so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He came out. His hands and feet wrapped in grave clothes with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. I wanted to start this morning with uh, this video because uh, I obviously I don't want us to, to miss this event in John chapter 11. Uh, it's the highlight of the chapter, uh, but we're actually going to spend most of our time looking at the events leading up to, to the resurrection of Lazarus here in John 11. Uh, this resurrection of Lazarus, uh, it, it is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, most, uh, not necessarily... Uh, the way that you would think of, because coming out of this miracle, the Jewish leaders, they, they recognize that they have a problem on their hands. And they actually sum up that problem uh, just in one line in verse 48. This is the problem that they find. Uh, John eleven forty-eight. if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. This is the problem that they now find with Jesus. If he keeps doing things like this, Everyone will believe. So they come up with a plan, a solution to the problem, and they say that solution in verse 53. From that day, day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, there have been spontaneous moments that we've seen throughout the gospel where Jesus would say something or Jesus would do something and the people, the, the leaders would pick up stones to, to kill him. That's not what's happening anymore. Uh, this is not a, a spur of the moment event. That this is not a spontaneous thing. This is now, let's make a plan. Let's put together a plan to rid the earth of Jesus Christ. And uh, verse uh, 54 actually tells us that Jesus could no longer move about publicly in Judea after this moment because it kind of just got real. They're coming for his life now. And what we have now is sort of this, this roller coaster. Uh, how many of you like roller coasters? Um, I would rather take a nap, personally. But when I was a kid, I loved roller coasters. And, and it always seemed when you're going straight up, they get slower and slower until you get to the top. And you're kind of wondering, are you going to make it to that top point? 
the pinnacle of the, of the roller coaster. Well, to this point, to John 11, uh, the projection of Jesus's ministry is on that roller coaster and it's going up and up and up. Uh, Jesus has turned water into wine. Jesus has healed the royal official's son, the paralyzed man, uh, fed the 5,000. He's walked on water. He's healed the man born blind. And now finally he has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, once we reach this point in John 11, that's the pinnacle of the roller coaster. From that moment, it's all downhill straight towards the cross. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, outside of Jesus' own resurrection, John doesn't detail any more miracles that Jesus performs uh, uh, from that point on. It's all about the road to the cross. And what we have in the Gospel, or in, in John chapter 11, uh, is, is we have the, the primary thing, uh, the primary message here is Jesus' seventh sign. His final sign uh, is Jesus displaying his own power over death, hell, and the grave. His own power over death. And actually, you'll notice if you read the story that it mentions a couple times that it was the fourth day. It was the fourth day Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. There was a Jewish custom, a tradition. Uh, this is not in scripture. It's just their custom. They believed that for three days, for three days, the soul of a person would hover around the tomb trying to return to the body. And after three days, if the person was still dead, they were done. They were gone. So uh, most scholars believe that that's kind of the significance of the fourth day. Jesus was just establishing, even according to your customs and traditions, he's gone. He's dead. You can't say that the soul was just hovering around and came back. No, he was gone, and I still brought him to, uh, back to life. So we have this display of Jesus' power. Uh, it's also a foreshadowing of the power that would, would be displayed on the cross. And then Jesus makes yet another I am declaration. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. But what, uh, what I want to do this morning, as I mentioned, is I want to examine everything that takes place leading up to this moment with the resurrection of Lazarus. Because uh, when I was studying this week, what I found is, is there were a number of doctrines or kind of commonly held beliefs that are disproved uh, in John chapter 11 that I want to talk about. It reminded me of a show that I watched when I was a kid called Mythbusters. Uh, Mythbusters was a show with a, I don't know if they were scientists or actors, whatever you want to call them, uh, but they would take just commonly held beliefs, or, uh, beliefs or, or, or idioms and they would put them to the test, like the scientific method, and say, are, is this really true? And a few of the myths that they busted uh, was, uh, for instance, the five-second rule is not actually a valid rule. <laughs> if you drop food on the floor, who, who, who would have thought? Um, uh, another one is they, they built a china shop, and they set bulls loose in the china shop. Did you know that bulls are very careful in a china shop? They're not actually, dis actually disruptive. Uh, you can teach a new dog or an old dog new tricks, and then... Another one that they tested, if you jump a car off of a ramp like the General Lee in Dukes of Hazard, it does not just land like nothing happened and keep going. Uh, that was the most disappointing to me of the tests that they ran. But um, uh, what I found in John chapter 11 is just all of these things that people either believed at that time or often that we still hold to today uh, that, that are sort of dispelled in the, in the chapter and the first of those pertains to the topic of sickness and death. Um, there was this idea, it was very prevalent in that culture, 
Uh, you'll find it even in some uh, circles today, but the belief was basically if you are facing sickness or illness, uh, it is an expression of God's attitude towards you. Uh, it, it is uh, God's anger being poured, uh, poured out. It, it is a punishment from God. And uh, uh, we find that kind of addressed head on to begin the chapter in John chapter 11. We'll read the first five verses and I'll show you this. It just says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her, uh, uh, and her sister he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And, and I love this right here because uh, it doesn't just say Jesus loved all of them, but Jesus, uh, it goes through the individuals. He loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And I was thinking about that in the songs this morning, just that God's love is, it's individual. It's for you. Um, you know, it's not just God loves everyone, that's true, but specifically, God loves you. And we find that here, that it specifies God loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Lazarus. But there was this idea, uh, we see it in chapter 9 with a man born blind, and the disciples see him, and they said, Jesus, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Who caused this man to, to be in this condition? It was just an assumption that if someone was sick or someone were blind or paralyzed, then they brought it on themselves. And remember what Jesus said, nobody sinned. It's so that God's glory could be revealed in this moment. And we find the same thing happens with Lazarus, that Jesus says this sickness will be unto the glory of God. So uh, what we find, and actually it says a third time later um, in verse 36, how much he loved Lazarus. Uh, it, the, the fact that he was sick was not a withholding of God's love or a punishment on Lazarus. God, God actually had a, a work to do through his sickness. So uh, that's the first thing I just want to say is being, being a believer does not exempt you from sickness. But it is also not what he desires for you. Uh, we, we've just read that, that Jesus said, uh, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. Sickness is a product of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. And since that time, since the fall of man, we have ingrained in our hearts this desire to be in a place where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there is no destruction. God placed that desire in our hearts because that's what we were created for. That's what we had in the Garden of Eden. That's what we had all along. And we lost it in the fall. And now we have a desire to regain it, which we will have in full. Uh, the Bible actually says to, to pray for God to bring that now because we can have that in part. We see physical healings taking place. Uh, we have it in part today, but there is something in our hearts, a longing God has placed there that won't be fulfilled until we are with him in eternity. So we pray for miracles Jesus instructed us to. He said, pray this way that my kingdom will come. My will will be done on this earth the way that it is in heaven. So we pray for healing. We place our trust in God's response. But we also recognize that this world is not our home. 
This is not our ultimate home. We're destined for another home, and that's actually where our heart should be. So we're not exempt from sickness, and we're not exempt from death, except in a way we kind of are, which maybe that doesn't make sense to you. Well, it's, it actually kind of shows up kind of contradictory in Scripture as well. So let's look at that in verse uh, 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's almost like a, a contradiction taking place in Scripture here. Jesus says, if you believe in me, uh, you'll live even though you die. And also, you'll never die. <laughs> Wait a minute, what's going on here? What, what Jesus is talking about is kind of a, a physical and a spiritual, because in the natural, we're going to face death. Uh, ten out of ten people face death in the, in the natural. At some point, our hearts will stop believing, uh, uh, beating. But if we believe in Christ, we don't actually die. We simply transition. We never face an eternal death. We transition from this life into eternal life with Christ. The Bible says to be absent from our bodies is to be present with the Lord. So yes, there's a death in terms of we stop breathing on this earth, but there's not a death in terms of eternal punishment uh, that, uh, that we would have apart from Christ. Uh, but it's not whether or not we die that I want to focus on uh, in, in this passage. But Jesus, actually, there's something really revealing about his attitude towards death. And, and in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 32, uh, we find all of this weeping and mourning taking place. Uh, it says in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, my Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Uh, when Jesus sees this raw emotion on display, when he sees this deep grief, and, and it, uh, the Bible says his heart, it, it's truly moved. And in their culture, they would actually hire mourners, professional mourners, to come to funerals uh, because there was this, uh, this, this uh, idea that the more unrestrained your mourning, the more unrestrained your sobbing and your wailing, it brought more honor to the person who had died. And when it talks about Mary and the Jews with her who were weeping, that's actually the word in the Greek language that it's using. It's talking about this wailing and, and just this sobbing and mourning. But it's interesting because when John describes Jesus as weeping, he uses actually a completely different word. Uh, he uses a word that, that uh, means to, to silently shed tears. So if you can kind of get a picture of this, there is this crowd of people and they were just mourning and grieving and just wailing. And Jesus, just as he witnesses this, uh, if you can just see him silently with tears beginning to roll down his own face. Uh, it's just, a, um, it's really interesting to me. But what happens next, I find even more interesting. In verse 38, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it, the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now this phrase here, to be deeply moved, is a single word in the Greek language. I'm going to put it on the screen for, it, for you, and if you want to try to pronounce it, you can have at it, but I'm not going to try. Um, but it probably doesn't mean what you think it means. Uh, this is actually a word that you would use to describe a horse's snort. 
And if a horse snorts, that's the word you, could, you would use. And when it's used uh, for people, uh, it's uh, used to denote anger. Uh, it's actually a word that describes a person's anger. Uh, and it's actually the second time that John uses it to describe Jesus. And what John is actually trying to paint the image of is Jesus is kind of torn between two emotions here. Because he is brought to tears by the grief of those he loves. Yet he is also brought to this place of righteous anger when he sees the, the destruction uh, that death is causing. And that's because death, just like sickness, was never intended for us. It's not the ultimate plan for us. We have a blessed hope. We have a hope that uh, when that day comes, we will not see death, but we will transition from earth to heaven. Uh, so, so in his anger towards death and in his sadness towards those who are mourning over death, Jesus displays the seventh sign where he just conquers death altogether. And I think it's so cool that there was like a hint of anger to it towards death, kind of like saying, get back in your place. You have no power over the Son of Man. All right, we're going to move on to the next myth that's kind of busted in this chapter, and I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. I don't think it's really a, a doctrine that people would claim to, but I think it is uh, sometimes an expectation we have. Uh, John 11:3, Greg, uh, it simply says, The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I want you to notice that that's all they said. They didn't say, Jesus, come as quickly as you can. Get here as fast as you can. We only have a little bit of time. Why didn't they say that? Because they know in chapter 4 of John, there was another story about a, a royal official's son. And he comes to Jesus begging for his son's life. And he says, Jesus, my son is sick. Will you please come? And Jesus just says, you know what? You can go back. Your son's fine. Jesus didn't have to go. Jesus could just think the thought and it would bring healing. He could say the words and it would bring healing. We have this long distance healing. So when Mary and Martha, when they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, uh, they are almost certainly aware that Jesus could just say, okay, go back and tell them that Lazarus is fine. But that was not Jesus' plan in this moment. So we have this myth or this doctrine, this idea that says Jesus is bound to respond to my situation the same way he responds to your situation. Jesus is bound to respond in John 11 the same way he, he responded in John chapter 4. But that's not what we find here. And what can, can happen if we have that idea is we look across the road and we see uh, other believers who uh, God has provided for them in a different way than he's provided for us. And we're saying, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong here? Because uh, I'm a believer. They're a believer. Why has God responded to them differently than he's responded to me? God, uh, Jesus is not bound to respond to you in the same way. What Jesus sees uh, is his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our, our thoughts. And Jesus sees where he will receive the greatest glory and will, he will bring the greatest glory to God. And he responds to you in that way that's going to bring about the greatest glory to God. The Bible says he works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It does not say that he's going to respond the exact same way to every situation. You know, I can go back to what I said earlier about prayers for healing, and uh, I cannot tell you, I honestly can't, 
um, the number of times that I have prayed for someone for healing and seen someone who was physically miraculously healed. Uh, I, I mean, it, I can't count them. Um, but I can also tell you, I can't count the times that I prayed for somebody and nothing happened. Uh, and, and I'm okay with that. Because what Jesus has called us to is to pray that his kingdom comes on this, on this earth. Uh, Jesus never said, you are the healer. Jesus said, I'm the healer. So I'm going to pray for healing, and I'm going to place it in God's hands, and I'm going to recognize if he doesn't respond in healing, that's okay, because he's going to respond in the way that brings the most glory to God. All right. Uh, the next myth that we come to that is busted in John chapter 11 uh, is one that I think most of us, if we're honest, uh, we do believe. Um, and, and to get there, we're going to look at Jesus' response to the message that Lazarus was sick, uh, beginning again in verse 3. It says, The sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, uh, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. Uh, this is so fascinating to me. Because he recognized how sick Lazarus was, he stayed there two more days. That makes absolutely no sense. Um, there was one time I, I was upstairs in our house and, and Emily starts screaming like there's a murderer in the house. It's only a mouse. But uh, <laughs> what if I would have said to her, because you are panicking so much, I thought I would stay up here a few more hours and then come down. I would not be here this morning, church. Um, but let's remove from the equation the fact that we know uh, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, what we are left with is Lazarus is sick on the verge of death, and Martha and Mary are watching him suffer and die, and they are grieving and mourning the loss of their brother, all while knowing that Jesus could have prevented it. Um, and, and if we look at the scripture, it kind of indicates they've had this conversation before. Uh, in verse 21 of John 11, uh, Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she went and got Mary in verse 32. And when Mary got there, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you can even go into verse 37 and the crowds are there and they're saying, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? Uh, Martha and Mary and everyone is saying Jesus could have prevented it. Now, Jesus knows this is a situation where if he follows through and allows Lazarus to die and resurrects him, it will bring so much glory to God. But to those who are there uh, in this event, there is no feasible, logical reason that Jesus would allow this to take place. There is no logical reason that Jesus could ignore their prayers and their cries. And so here's the myth. It's this, this idea that God is most glorified when he answers our prayers, when we want them and how we want them. Uh, in our finite minds, we believe that there is nothing that could possibly bring God more glory than for him to answer our prayer how we want and when we want. But, but if God would have responded to Lazarus' sickness the way that they desired, we would have been robbed of one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest miracles in all of Scripture. 
Because Jesus sees beyond that moment, even when we don't understand it, even when we're going through something we just cannot grasp, Jesus sees beyond that moment. And I just wonder if there's any situations in this room in your life where you have been praying for an intervention from God and you feel like he has responded in silence. And, and in your finite, logical mind, you're saying, God, how have you let this happen? How could you let this be going on right now in my life or in their life, suffering this way? There is no logic because, church, we can't see the other side. We can't see the resurrection yet. And the challenging thing is, there are moments in Scripture like Lazarus where we get to see the other side. And we get to see God's glory. But there are other moments, if you take Abraham, he never recognized his promise. He faced the challenges and he just had to trust God. And, and God provided after Abraham. Uh, Moses, he came to the Jordan River. He never got to cross into the promised land. There are times that we don't get to see what God was doing. That's okay. It's called faith, church. And, and I just wonder if perhaps God's priority in the moment that you are uh, walking through today is not to get you out of the situation, but perhaps there is more glory to God for you to recognize that he is walking with you through the midst of that situation. In Isaiah chapter 43, uh, the prophet was speaking uh, over the nation of Israel, and he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. This is what he did not prophesy. When you pass through the waters, I'll yank you out as quick as possible. Or when you're walking through the fire, I'll pull you out of there as quick as possible. No, he said, when you are going through those situations in life, I will walk through them with you. Renee, could you come? And one more myth that we'll bust this morning. The Bible says in uh, uh, beginning in verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back. And on to verse uh, 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, I, I love this statement of faith from Thomas in this moment. Because if you read what it says, Thomas had no faith in the outcome. Uh, Thomas actually had no faith that Jesus would do what he was saying he was going to do. He was just saying, he's calling us, let's go with him. I mean, we're going to die. <laughs> it's not going to succeed. The odds are not in our favor if we go to Judea, but Jesus wants to go there. Let's go. And we have this myth that says that our faithfulness to God should be based upon the odds of success. No, our faithfulness to God should be based upon the commands of God. That's all that it is to us, is if God is calling us to do something, we step out in faith and we do it and we trust God. It's not based upon the outcome. It's not based upon the expected outcome or the odds being in our favor. If God is speaking to you and he's saying, I'm, I'm calling you to step out in faith, and you're saying, but God, I'm, I'm looking at it and uh, we're gonna die before we get there. <laughs> now, if God is calling you, 
will walk with you through that. Can you stand with me, church? Jesus, this morning again, we just welcome you in this place. And I pray that you just speak over every situation in this room, every circumstance, Lord, that we brought in here. That you speak your peace. You speak your grace, God. situations, Lord, that we have that we just need to let go. And we've cried out to you, God, and we've said, why are you being silent in the midst of this? Why are you letting this happen? This morning, as a church, I pray, Lord, that we let go of these, those things and we say we trust you in this. resurrection and the life and uh, those who live in me even though they die and they'll never die and all these things and then he turned to her and said do you believe this what he didn't say was do you understand this do you understand everything that I'm saying to you this morning and he just said do you have faith in what I am speaking to you in this moment and she said yes Lord I believe and we go through those circumstances that we may never ever understand on this side of eternity. But we can say, Lord, I believe. We can say, Lord, I choose to have faith. As Renee leads his church, just take a few minutes and invite the Spirit to speak to your heart. Uh, just go with us from this place that you use us in our communities, Lord, to bring glory to you. Uh, I pray that you help us to trust you in the circumstances that we don't understand faith in the circumstances that we don't trust the outcome and just to trust you in every part of our lives with everything we are in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, church, if you're reading along with us, just one chapter this week, chapter 12. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.